0: Thank you for listening to the Yippee Market Podcast, brought to you by Mountaintop Data. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Randy Frisch of Uber... Wow, that last name really threw me for a loop, uh, Randy. Of Uberflip about uh, content marketing. Uh, Randy's the CMO and co-founder of Uberflip, a content experience platform that empowers marketers to create content experiences at every stage of the buyer's journey. Randy has defined and led this movement, prompting marketers to think beyond content creation and truly put their customers first by focusing on the experience. I love that side of content marketing, Randy. Really happy to have you on the show today and really looking forward to uh, digging into this.
1: Absolutely, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: One of the things that really stuck out to me when looking into content marketing, and, and, and you guys let me uh,
1: do a visual here,
0: your, uh, your book, uh, your profane book here, on content marketing with a bookmark, I might add. I don't know if I've seen one of those since seventh grade. I was uh, really excited by it, actually. I have a bookmark I can, uh, I can put in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, not, not only is it a bookmark, but we, we put a lot of extra effort into that one. I don't know if anyone's actually valued it, but the die cut there, if you notice, you know, literally traces oh. around the F-bomb. So we, yeah, we had some fun with it.
0: As far as bookmarks go, this is a good one.
1: There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Um, so the content
0: experience, I love that it's not just content marketing, but you guys seem to focus a lot on, on the experience, on personalization and the experience of content marketing. Most people, I think, when they think about content marketing, they think about pieces of content, white papers, um, that kind of stuff. And, and you guys seem to really take it in this experience direction. Can you... Uh, Can you talk to that a little bit and then we're going to jump back to you and and the company briefly, but uh, I just kind of got sidetracked by that thought. Yeah. Let's,
1: I mean, let's unpack what it means for people. It's for some, it's a, it's a new term, brand new for some, they've been probably hearing about it for three to five years now. And I, I think if you, if you rerun the clock even further, there shouldn't have been a need for us to talk specifically about content experience. If, if content marketing ended up being defined the way it was intended we would all be able to talk about content marketing and go way beyond defining that as content creation. But for many of us, when we look at content marketing, we think about creating content at scale. And as a result, over the years, because of great people like Joe Paluzzi and Robert Rose at Content Marketing Institute and others, we said, okay, like we need a content marketing discipline. But when we define that discipline, when we define even the job titles, that we have in our organizations around content marketing, they are people who create content. Uh, In many cases, they may have been a journalist in a previous career or step in their their life. Uh, You know, they're they're really talented, creative minds. But what what doesn't always come into those people's repertoire or skill set is the ability to go and leverage that content in their go-to-market strategy. Right. And, you know, when, you know, when you look at, at what your tagline is for your podcast, which is, what is it? I think it's market the shit out of things. Right. Yep. I mean, there's no point in having all this content if we're not going to market the shit out of it in your words. Right. If it's right. just going to sit there and go unused, then what's the point? Um, there's a, there's a crazy stat out there by serious decisions, which is, you know, a subset of Forrester on the analyst side and, and they noticed that 70% of the content that organizations create goes unused. Right? So wow. when we talk about unused, we're not saying like, you know, just cause it's on your website doesn't mean it's used. I'm, I'm talking about like getting it into your marketing campaigns, making sure it's part of the path that people discover through this very complicated journey that people now go through to buy, especially in the B2B realm. So if, if we define it in, in that way and, and we look at all these complexities, of of you know delivering content but we only define content marketing as creation well who's going to do all that other stuff and that's where to your point we kind of evolved this idea of content experience as the parts that we never got stuffed into the content marketing definition it It reminds
0: me what you're saying a little bit of uh of the one of the scenes from white men can't jump A a marketing variation on that, maybe. (laughs) Okay, I don't know.
1: I mean, I'm I'm intrigued where this is going.
0: You're using your content, but you're not using your content. Like (laughs) you're you're listening to it, but you're not hearing it. Or maybe I got that backward. But so people will say, "Oh yeah, we're using the content," but it's like making a TV show and then not trying to syndicate it. Like you're not really using it. You don't make a movie and show it once in a premiere, and then no, no, you got to market the shit out of that movie. You want it everywhere. You want that showing on you know cable for the next hundred years you've got to really use it
1: absolutely i uh, it's you know it's been a while since i've had a white man can't jump uh reference uh i'm trying to remember what year that movie was any idea oh, no <laughs> that has to be early 90s Something. yeah like. that was woody harrelson and um who else was in that wesley Rose- snipes Wesley Snipes, and what was the woman's name she, she was oh. you know rosie something or yep yeah. Or maybe that was her character name, I can't recall. Anyhow, that was fun. Uh, but you know, staying on track with content experience, absolutely, it's, it's how we use it. It's how we use our content, but, but not are we using it. I mean, if, if we all just start to drop content into every email that we send, or every paid ad that we put out, or every touch point where someone comes across content, and we don't think about whether that experience is a great one or just a, a an average or subpar one at worst. What does that mean in terms of our ability to keep people moving through that journey, to keep them engaged, to get them to consume more content? Because one of the things that we all know now. Is that people don't just come and buy and, and engage in one piece of content and then buy from us, especially in more complex buying cycles. Right. They'll go through seven pieces of content. Or there's other data, you know, my my most intriguing one that I've seen from Gardner lately is that 82% of the buying cycle is spent doing research, not just speaking to sales. So only 18% is done speaking to sales of the time involved. Well, and as a result, you're the
0: content expert but it it dawns on me it seems like not only not seeing one piece of content but when you talk about top of funnel content where you need you know that's a funnel you need more and more content the farther you go up in the funnel for building brand and stuff like that how many pieces of brand content do you have to see just to build brand to get people to eventually consume something down the funnel that leads to a sale um so that that number i mean it's you need such a volume of content out there to uh
1: i i don't know i would challenge that i i I think that's maybe part of the problem out there is is this mindset that we never have enough content right we need more content and and you hear people talk about that all the time now people have come around to understand it's not just about quantity it's about quality but i i would push that even further to say you know, maybe we don't need so much quantity, you know, quality is still going to be important. Maybe we don't need so much qual- quantity if we can think about guiding someone in a more methodical way. Right. So to your point, if we have a ton of content at the top of the funnel, you know, are people actually going to try and navigate all of that? Or are we failing sometime to bridge them deeper into the funnel? Um, you know, to the point where we get them to talk to sales at the right stage. And then we continue to support that sales process with, with content as well. And that's, that's how we need to start to think about, you know, going deeper. You know, one of the examples, you know, in the book that I wrote that, uh, that I unpack is, is looking at that. There you go. Fuck content marketing. Uh, and, uh. One of the, the examples I talk about a lot, I, I love music, I, I love Spotify, I think they do an amazing job at introducing me to content that I didn't even know I wanted. And, and, and that's a, a big way to think about the challenge that we have as marketers. How do we get people to consume the content that they didn't even know that they need from us? Um, right. Because they come, they come with, a, with a pain point, but they don't know the solution. That's what our content's there for. We have to guide them. Now, back to Spotify. What's cool about them is there was a report done by Mary Meeker over Kleiner Perkins. She does this trend on internet, uh, uh, sorry, report on internet trends every year. And what she highlighted is that in a three-year period from 2014 to 2017, Spotify saw a huge jump in engagement. And the way that was essentially shown was that they went from engaging in 68 average artists or musicians on a monthly basis to 112 in that period and people look at that data and they're like that's amazing now you know the truth is you know it's kind of funny it's it wasn't better music that led to that right it's not like there was a whole bunch of uh, breakout artists between those three years and as a result we're all just listening to so much more in that way right Spotify managed to do is they managed to recommend content to us that we didn't even know that we wanted or that we didn't even know may be interesting to us. They did that by understanding the behaviors and understanding the patterns of consumption that we have and saying, oh, there's other content that, that's also related here that you may find interesting. Um, and before you know it, that's where you get to the point where you say this this subscription to Spotify just makes sense because I'm discovering more. I'm learning more. I want more of that ongoing engagement. And that's why none of us just, you know, download, you know, a bunch of 90 cents, 99 cent songs anymore, because we want to continue to learn more. That's the same that we we can think about with our content.
0: Or I guess in the same analogy, or not even analogy, the same true story, um, you also don't Really want to listen when you have Spotify. You don't want to listen to the radio play the same ten songs over and over again because they're giving you quality still, but a variation of quality. Where if they just threw a bunch of garbage that had nothing to do, you know, you listen to a lot of rock and roll and they're throwing country western music at you and stuff like that, you wouldn't be engaged. And I guess that's where the the user experience really comes in. The product has to be quality. It's still good music. It's targeted. It's personalized to you, but they're they're providing you more of it that you. Than, than just the same thing over and over again.
1: Absolutely. They're expanding our understanding. They're helping us become experts in, in, a, in a genre in the music case. And in, in the marketer's case, if you know, think about your brand, how do you get people to be experts? That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to help them become an expert in your area. And you want to be that trusted advisor in the process. So that, back to our Gartner stat, when they're done with their 82% of research, if they found that you know more than half of that time was spent with your content, then naturally won't they want to spend more than half of their time speaking to sales, speaking to your sales reps? And once you get that to happen, there's a much higher likelihood that you will be the one to close that deal.
0: Right. Right. All right. All makes sense. Now this is a little backward from how we normally do the show. I want to jump back to the beginning and uh, dig into you a little bit, so people can learn if they don't already know who Randy is. Um, I don't know, Google it, but we'll, we'll help you out a little bit here. Um, so you're the CMO, co-founder of Uberflip. How did you get, can you give us a quick pathway to how you got from the, the child, uh, Randy, who I saw your favorite game um, is Operation.
1: oh that's going way back we're we're really unpacking the childhood there well i'll spare you on now if i need everything between
0: operation up to uber flip and just a little bit of information on me i never i saw operation when i was a kid as a bridge too far oh my god the kid who had operation was too cool for me to be friends with so that was just something i aspired to one day (laughs) now we have operation in my house and i play it with my kids like a child
1: i love it Still a great. That's game. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. They're, they're always fun to be nostalgic. Uh, you know, for me, I, I, I consider, you know, if, if you fast forward and then rewind back, I I'm I'm in a very fortunate place. Uh, you know, not only am I in a marketing role as CMO of Uber Flip, it's a company I was involved in co-founding and Uh, you know, I get to be out on the road talking to marketers, learning from marketers on an ongoing basis. Even a podcast like this, that's that's what we're doing. We're learning from each other as as we engage. And you know, I take that back to me as a child. Marketing was a passion of mine. I mean, I'm not gonna lie and tell you that I thought B2B marketing was gonna be the coolest thing when I was 13 years old, but I, I I was blown away by Super Bowl commercials and you know, advertising at scale. Now, you know, along the way somewhere I realized B2B is pretty cool too. And, and that, you know, there's ways to be very clever about how we get someone to trust us as a brand and and build a relationship with them. So, uh, you know, part of that for me in my early career, I was in a, in a sales role, uh, you know, learned to understand what, what to ask customers so that, you know, I could solve for those pains. Um, you know, then I, I continued in different marketing roles, both in my schooling and, and postgraduate MBA, uh, focus was, was very marketing driven, but I always had a, an interest in tech. Um, I, you know, to be clear, like, I don't know how to code. So it wasn't, I want to code this amazing product. Uh, I've luckily found a co-founder to help me with that journey. It was more, that I was the marketer who knew that with great technology, I could do really cool things. And I often, often draw the example that today we all take for granted, but think how cool PowerPoint is. Right? I mean, like, you know, there's better versions of PowerPoint, you could argue, and, and things like that right now. But you know, this, the way they simplified something that's so complex. If so you were that-
0: around pre-PowerPoint... And you oh, have yeah. to have the a poster board that you're swapping. Then you know how cool PowerPoint is, or
1: yeah. or even you know you had people trying to pull together more multimedia versions of what we do in PowerPoint now using you know Flash, right? You know, yeah. and, and and trying to pull those together. It was really complex. PowerPoint just made it really simple. Google all slides, the technology. I, I learned to
0: type on a typewriter, like an actual typewriter. I mean, I was in a small poor rural school. They had computers back then. <laughs> I'm not that old, but uh, <laughs> still, just we. Everybody takes for granted once you get used to the technology, yeah, but yeah, you know,
1: but but it, but it,
0: what we have now with developers, your co, the type of things, the magic that these people are like freaking wizards that they can do. Well, it's amazing
1: and and to me, what what I really found you know exciting is that something can be built to simplify the challenges that we have. Um, you know that ultimately is what drove me to uberflip and what uberflip has become is how do we empower marketers to do the things that they needed to do you know in a similar way you could say although it's different for powerpoint getting presentations out at scale but how do we actually get content onto our website into our marketing campaigns into the hands of our sales representatives and these are things that a lot of us probably struggle with struggled with if if they don't have a solution like ours or or you know continue to struggle with so how do we simplify that, you know, and we, we've made some really exciting headways. There's a long path forward to continue to make it even more streamlined, but it's really exciting to be, you know, to be in the space that I'm in.
0: So what's your, there at Uberflip, I know you've kind of given us a a general idea, but can you give a really succinct, here's what Uberflip does for people who aren't, aren't familiar with it and, and might want to check it out?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's, Sometimes confusing to people because some, as, as we kind of open this show with, would suggest that we're a content marketing platform. You know? And we, we actually don't consider ourselves a content marketing platform given the way it's, it's been defined by most. Interestingly, uh, Forrester just unveiled their content marketing platform wave and they did put us in there. It's um, always frustrating. <laughs> it, it ranked us pretty well as a contender uh, in the space, but, but mainly because of how well we scored in, in what they call activation. Uh, and activation is that use of content and putting content into play into our campaigns. Uh, that, that to me is, is where we come in. So if, if you're in content marketing or you're more likely part of the demand gen team or digital marketing team of your organization and you're trying to figure out, okay, like how do we take all that content and get it into our campaigns? Or you may not be thinking that. You may be thinking, how do we make our emails better? How do we get better click-through rates on, uh, you know, on the click after an ad? uh, depending on where we drop them into.
0: So you're creating content already. It's just not sticking as much as you want it to.
1: Uh, I, am not sure if I use the word sticking. I I think we're not, we're not locking people in, right? You know, we, we send them to these endpoints versus to these journeys. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to emulate the experiences that exist on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. And, you know, a lot of the time we hear the term infinite scroll on those sites, right? They, you know, their goal is not to get us to Log on to YouTube and watch one video. They want us to sit there for twenty minutes or two hours. I'm uh,
0: to get to the bottom. I have it. Keep you, you, trying to get to the end of the internet, and they don't make it. Yeah,
1: it's. I, I mean, I mean, listen. You can only probably play Operation, like you said, with your kids at home <laughs> so long. But you know, put them in front of YouTube, and they'll they'll sit there for six hours. Uh, <laughs> My you know, YouTube it,
0: account is filled with children stuff.
1: It's absolutely, ridiculous. absolutely. So so, but but that's what we have to try and and mirror because the experiences that we're talking about be it on youtube you know be it even on netflix or spotify as we've already spoken about today uh you know those are the same experiences that we're competing against for attention so you know you may sit there as a a marketer and say well no, no no that's a consumer experience i can't a be expected to compete there and b that's just in a whole other you know area but But when you send out an email or you try and target someone with an ad out there, you know, they were just in another pane or tab inside of their mobile device or desktop where they were on those other channels that are truly personalized, that are putting content that that matters to their audience in front of them. And as a result, you know, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we shouldn't be held to those same expectations. So the question is, how do you go and take all the content you have and create these same personalized experiences?
0: Would you say if and I would say if people want to see really what Uber flip uh, the nuts and bolts of it, go to the site. They have a great experience there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I figured it out
0: pretty quickly. Um, would you say it's accurate that if, if people want to know where B2B marketing is going, should they look at where consumer marketing is? I mean, we, we kind of seem to, they, they're the bleeding edge and we seem to take the best of what they figure out and, and eventually implement it in B2B marketing.
1: I would say that there's there's a two-way relationship uh, in terms of what we can learn and vice versa. I mean, a lot of the things that I often am out there speaking about when I'm doing a keynote or whatnot is either B2B or B2C more complex purchases. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities in those. Uh, there's different strategies for sure when we get into more of a of a consumer play where uh, you know some of some of the activity is more transactional, some of the buying purchases are more transactional versus the more complex buying decision. But a lot of the strategies as as we just unpacked, yes, they have to mirror each other because you know at the end of the day, if we're selling a B2B purchase or sending a consumer purchase, we're selling to the same person, right? So people, uh, yeah. They're all people and they all tick the same way. Yes, they may put on a little bit of a different lens in one setting versus the other. But if we can mirror those experiences where they're most naturally inclined to, to convert with us and engage with us inside of our more complex buying decisions, it's only natural to expect that they're going to you know, have a better experience with us you know, through that
0: makes sense. Yeah. I guess uh, one of the big differences with the consumer, it's their money and they don't want to spend it. And with the business, it's someone else's money usually, and they have to spend it.
1: Yeah. In some cases that's
0: still still people.
1: Um, In some cases that's an issue. I I like to look for the best in most people and think that most people you're selling to are driven in one way or another, either, either they're, you know, it could still be more selfish to your, to your point. And, and they're, you know, they're focused on their career and how did they succeed to get that next promotion or opportunity to move into a different company because they were successful where, where they were. Uh, you know, for others, they're just truly passionate about their organization and they're trying to do the best for that organization. So I think we, I, I think we can expect that people want to deliver. And, and a lot of the, the marketers I know, um, you know, take conferences as an, exa- as an example, you know, there's a huge trend that even when we go to a conference and we're, you know, the conference is tied to a very specific uh, specialization that we still bring in speakers to these conferences that just challenge us outside of the area of expertise that we may be there. Some my learn.
0: favorite speakers. Yeah. are are. Tangents, offshoots. I mean, on the podcast, some of my favorite people, uh, aside from you, Randy, I love talking about content marketing. But when we have people on that are tangential to B2B marketing, um, yeah, same at the conferences. I, I always love it when I go to conferences and they have these, you know, motivational speakers, body language people, all that kind of stuff. It's, it. It affects your um, your profession, even though it's not a specific tactic within it. Maybe something like that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right. um, So let's get to um, some, before we go on break, we're going to go on break in just a couple minutes, but I want to give people some major takeaways before we do. So no pressure, but uh, (laughs) can you give me a couple, a couple do's, a couple don'ts for, for people's content marketing and and the user experience of it all around? Anything you want tangential, let's say to content marketing.
1: Sure. Absolutely. You know, in, in setting up maybe to your point, the second half of this show, I I think what we've unpacked here so far is, is the reality that, you know, don't be obsessed with creating so much content given how much of it often goes unused. Um, And to do that, we really need to, uh, you know, consider what type of content experience we want to put in front of people before we just go and pump out that next piece of content. Because if we start to map, the different content experiences that will be needed at different stages of the buyer journey, then we can start to be more strategic about our content creation. So a lot of what I speak about has nothing to do with content creation, but a lot of what I talk about actually informs our content creation. Because if we start to think about these experiences, we start to think about the collection of assets we want to put in front of someone, then we end up more strategic about what content we'll create in the first place.
0: All right, So it's creating the right stuff to start with and then content efficiency, really, um, with that. And that comes back to the marketing, the shit out of it, that kind of stuff. It's really, we had an episode recently on, and there was a lot of talk about, you know, repurposing content, making sure here's all the different ways you can make something. Don't just post it on one social media. You know, there's some obvious stuff, but then you get a little deeper and say, oh yeah, we got to chop this more and more and more. We just started chopping our podcast up. We're releasing a podcast. And we said, well, we can make a dozen shorts out of every one of these, and some people would rather consume, you know, two minutes from uh, from Randy about con- a specific part of content marketing. Um, so makes sense. What else? What else you got for us? I'm going to juice you for all we can get here on the tips.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, w- one of the things that maybe we will unpack in this second half, as you said uh, of of the podcast, is is how do we actually do this at scale? Like, what does a framework look like? Uh, you know, a, a lot. You know, I was. It was nice of you to let me talk about Uberflip, but I often say that technology is not the first thing that you should buy, right? And my team hates it when I say this because they're like, "No, we just want to sell software." But say eventually, uh, just not first. Eventually, eventually. <laughs> I mean, the first thing is is have great people on your team and ensure that they understand what they're responsible for. So we talked a little bit today about the importance of creating content. You're gonna have people who that's their role, but you need to have other people whose role is to distribute that content, to use that content, to leverage it in the marketing strategies. Uh, So you know that's the first part. The second part is making sure you have a great process. uh, Because those people to be efficient need structure to work within. Uh, You know, that's that's where I often talk about the content experience framework that we can definitely unpack in the second half here. Uh, And then the third part is once you got those people and once you got a great process for them to follow, at some point they will hit a brick wall. You know, we can only work so many hours per day without, you know, losing our voices, getting sick, you know, not having a balance in our lives. So, you know, at that point we're, we're stressed with, okay, well, do we have to hire more people? It's just not always a bad thing. But at some point, can we layer in technology to help us scale? And that's where tech comes in at that point. So I would always just you know consider that it's it's a framework that we hear all the time. People process technology, but you know, giving some thought to you know when is the right time to invest in each of those.
0: Right. If you if you want to scale, you eventually have to. Again, we're talking about being efficient with the content. You got to be efficient with your people as well with your processes, and that's where the technology over, over labor really comes into play there. Awesome. Yeah. And the second part here, we will get into the the framework uh, for scaling uh, content and and experience and all that kind of stuff. We're going to take a quick break right now and we'll be back in just a minute. Are you currently having challenges within
1: your business? Branding can creatively solve 90% of the problems most organizations run into. Some of the most common ones are attracting the right types of customers, standing out from the competition, increasing and converting more business, hiring and keeping the best possible talent, and most importantly, sending the right message to the people who matter most. Attic Salt is an award-winning branding studio that specializes in defining and designing disruptive brands for visionary products and organizations. And you can find us at AtticSalt.co. That's A-T-T-I-C-S-A-L-T dot C-O.
0: Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. We have Randy Frisch with us today of Uberflip. And we're talking about content marketing, Randy. Before the break, uh, we mentioned getting into the framework for scaling stuff. Let's jump straight into that. What can you tell us about uh, about scaling content with a
1: framework? Absolutely, yeah, Sky. I'll give you a high level overview of the framework that we've seen, uh, you know, used by a lot of marketers that I was speaking to you for a number of years. So a lot of these ideas came from customers that I get to work with at Uberflip, marketers who, you know, I was just learning from along the way. Uh, and you know what this really comes down to is how do I personalize these content experiences at scale? Because a lot of us, we can come up with an amazing personalized campaign, and we all have that one that we talk about as a marketer that worked really well. But you know, the question then is, how do you do that ten times over, a hundred times over, or more? And that's where we have to look at the realities that we talked about in the first half of this show. Is everyone expects a personalized experience, right? We we talked about Spotify, where I take out my phone. Right. And I or you, Sky, we both expect a made for you playlist that is literally made for us. Now, it doesn't right. mean that, you know, ACDC is you know, cranking out new tunes for each of us but Spotify has handpicked the content that they believe that we will be interested in. Not just
0: a radio station. Again, it's not the same tunes everybody's getting regardless.
1: Exactly. Perfect analogy. So, so the way we do that is, is we've got to take a step back before we jump in to create these, right? If you're only creating one, no problem. But if, if you want to create them at scale, you need to take a step back. So the first step of this five step process is to centralize all of your content, right? And that's, Taking account and knowing what you have. This is where we often, as we unpacked earlier, we often realize we'll have more content than we expect. So it's, you know, again, it's not about quantity. It's about realizing what we have. And to do that, we need a, a way to centralize that content. Uh, if you're using technology, there's systems like a content experience platform that'll help you ingest all that content to a central repository. But for some of us, it's even just starting with the spreadsheet, right? You know, just knowing all the content assets that we have. So it's just
0: mapping it out even because I'm, I'm thinking people will say, well, yeah, centralized content, of course. Duh. But then, okay, now go look at your network and tell me how many different places you have content on that you need to get. I guarantee it's more than five. Like everybody's content is spread everywhere and you'll discount stuff. And be like, oh, well, yeah, if I need this, of course, if I need the logos, for it, then I got to go over
1: here and, which yeah, thing, I mean, get
0: that was, all organized. Where you in know. that
1: case, we're we're starting to talk more about digital asset management oh. um, to a degree. I'm talking more of polished content assets, so blog posts, videos, eBooks, various different formats of content that we put out in front of our audience. And for many of us, yes, we we do have to figure out how to handle our digital asset management and whether we're using you know something super professional like in a Primo. Or whether we're using something very simple like a dropbox or box type of type of folder that's an important part for that but the the other part to to take a look at is where are you sending people to find your content uh you know we talked earlier about youtube and and how you know much time can be wasted and on youtube with all the distractions there i'm not suggesting that people shouldn't have content on youtube but what i am suggesting is that we shouldn't send someone to find our content on YouTube, in most cases. Because YouTube is a channel that we don't own. So whatever they're shown next is not necessarily going to be what we can control and what we want to show them. So centralizing our content so that we can guide someone through different assets starts with being able to host all that content in one place that is either under our domain or under some sort of microsite that we've managed. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to owning content. I mean, you know, big part of content marketing definitions that you'll see out there is that it's owned media. Uh, but when we you know throw it out on YouTube or LinkedIn, you know, that can be effective places for distribution, but not necessarily for housing content, right? right. You know, in those cases, we want to find a way to get someone back to our site from youtube or or linkedin or, then or you can, whatever
0: channel. you can say you own it but you're not deciding what commercials play after it before it all that kind of, you don't actually own absolutely it.
1: absolutely yeah. we don't own the journey on those channels it's back so that, to uh
0: white men can't jump you own it but you don't own it
1: <laughs> there you go there you go uh so as, as we continue oh by the way the,
0: that was 92 and it was rosie perez
1: uh, there you go. I knew it was a rosy, right? I was, I was, I wasn't that far off there. Uh, all right. So once we've centralized content, the next step is to organize it, right? You know, it, you know, for companies who have large amounts of content at scale, it's very hard to know what content that we have. We also have to keep in mind within our teams. You know, there's so much turnover. Or there's so many new people joining our teams. You know, you know, the average. Yeah. You know, millennial may know only stay at a place for two years. So what if you have a great asset that's over two years old, how can you expect someone to know that asset exists unless you have great tagging and organization to surface content to be used in our campaigns?
0: Or sometimes and I think this is smaller companies. Maybe I've seen it. We're, we're a fairly small company and, and, uh, that person's gone. And then you say, well, where's that asset? Oh, I don't know. I go to this person for it. It's on their system somewhere. Okay. Where is it on their? It's not even really centralized as in kept in, in, in one place, much less, you know um, where people can find it from the outside, but internally you can, you can lose assets because the person who managed that asset and developed those things, you know, had put it somewhere, put it wherever they wanted to. And Absolutely. now they're out sick and nobody knows where it is.
1: Absolutely. And and when we say find it, it you know, the question is who an organization we, is trying to do that. It's, it's multiple people. It's not just your marketing team. It may be your sales team. It may be your customer success team. Now there's different groups that are all relying on this content at different stages. So we need to make it really easy for them to find it. Again, there are systems out there. There's technology out there, but don't be scared to start again with a spreadsheet, you know, use that same spreadsheet, build it out to be something that, that can be searched and indexable, Across different persona tags, against different use case tags, one of the things that we're even starting to do at Uberflip for our own content is tagging it internally from the perspective of of aligning it to a Salesforce opportunity stage, so that we so that our team knows what assets may work well across both the industry they're selling into and the and the stage of the sales cycle.
0: Uh, so just for where they're at, here's for the user's experience at this point in the cycle. Here's content that may apply as a exactly. starting point. Exactly. Ah, nice,
1: nice. All right, so, so now we're, we're through what I'll call the boring stuff. I mean, that stuff isn't the stuff that marketers want to spend time <laughs> on, but it's so important, right? If we don't have centralization of content and a good tagging structure or organization, very hard for us to can even consider personalizing at scale. So I, I know, Sky, you love stories. I, I know you love examples. Um, I'm going to give you a great example of of a company called Snowflake. Uh, They're a company that's just really taken off. They've got a really bright leader of their ABM strategy, their account-based marketing strategy named Daniel Day. And what Daniel has done is he took the time to centralize this content, to organize it, really make sure it's tagged well. And what that allowed him to do is not just have content on their website, but they're actually creating dedicated pages of content for all of the accounts that they want to win, so they've got, they've grown over the years. I mean, they're they're now a unicorn company valued over a billion dollars, and what they've been able to do is actually scale over time to say, okay, we're going to actually build a stream of content for all twelve hundred of the target accounts that they're trying to land.
0: So it's so basically their trying- own Spotify channel for for those uh, for those accounts
1: absolutely so so i'm drinking a diet pepsi here right now right if they wanted to if they wanted to you know sell to to pepsi cola all they would have to do is start off by building a dedicated page and then dropping the pieces of content like you said with the spotify example they're not necessarily drafting new content every time now some accounts they may do that they're just hand the right assets and they're wrapping up in a way that truly feels personalized you know these are all the elements that go into a great content experience it's looking at the environment how it's surrounded it's looking at the structure how it's organized it's looking at the way it compels engagement by referring to you know recommended content and contextual calls to action all these things get looped in so that Snowflake can start to build these more meaningful relationships with these accounts. Now, building the destination is obviously a key part, and that's when we then start to figure out how we embed this into our marketing. You know, whether that's, and, and you hit on some of these earlier, Sky, whether it's you know the email marketing that we're sending out, the paid ads that we're sending out, the emails going out from our inbox, right? There's a great company called Sixter who helps with uh, streamlining signatures inside of our email accounts, imagine linking that to content, but ensuring that that content then led to other relevant content based on the account that I'm selling into. Right. This is where we start to generate truly integrated marketing programs. Right. It seems like a
0: big part of it is you have all this content um, that you've created already. And you keep talking about, you know, leverage what you have, be efficient, but also you have all this content don't make your prospects and your customers dig through it to find what applies to them. Like they, you can't expect them. Our people say, oh, I, "I." it frustrates me to no end when I hear somebody say like, oh, it's there. Why didn't they just do this? It's there. Why didn't they just do that? Okay, we wanted the customer to pay for something, but if they really wanted to, they could, like they don't really, do we really want to close the deal? Don't make it hard for them to do it. Don't make it hard for people to find the content that applies to them because they're not going to do it. They got a lot of other things to do. We always think that the customer, like we're the most important thing to them when really they don't even think about you most of the time until they really need something. And then if they try to go find it and they have to dig through a bunch of stuff, they're going to go to a company that makes it easier to find what they need. Um, So it's, it really comes back to serving the customer, I guess, make it easy for them to find what they really need. Once you've already created all this stuff, instead of just throwing a a giant pile of stuff at them and saying, if you want it, there it is. Find something.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Very well put sky. I think, you know, and, and some people listening to this podcast may say, well, I'm not guilty of that. Um, it's okay if you are. Just take a look, though, and think about some of the things that you may be doing. I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples, you know, back to, you know, do not, if, if you will, uh, you know, that, that I see people do, sadly, you know, very often. We organize format on our website, as an example, by things like format right? So many of us have some sort of resource page or some sort of navigation to our menu where you can go and find all of the eBooks on one page, all of the videos on another page, all of the infographics on another, the blogs on another, but you're not easily able to intermingle those formats. Now, do people come to your website and say, okay, I'm going to figure out what you guys do. Give me some eBooks. No, okay. they say, I have this challenge. I have this pain. I'm cut in some sort of way and I need you to help heal me, right? Show me the pieces of content that I need to read, that I need to consume as I do my research so that I will be equipped to succeed in this area. This is what we talked about the first part of the show. People are craving that, but we're sometimes making it really hard for them to navigate that. You know, the other way that we make this mistake other than doing it by format is just organizing content chronologically. Right, so we may have an amazing mm-hmm. asset that's two years old that we created. That's you know killer. Like we talked about that asset now it's on an endless so, scroll
0: and you got to scroll for five minutes just to find it.
1: But, but let's say they even found it through SEO, right? They land there, but then what happens? You know, let's say it's from May fifteenth, two thousand and fifteen. The next recommended piece of content, sadly, is May 14, thousand and fifteen. That asset may no longer be relevant, right? It just happens to be the next chronological piece. So we have to move away from thinking about how we post content out of ease versus creating and bundling content for the you know, expectations of our audience on where they are in their journey.
0: Yeah, it's, you have to think from the customer's side. How do they want to consume this? Not you made it and it's out there. I, it's a, not a very great analogy, but I was thinking it's almost like as companies, we're the hunters, right? And we're trying to go get this client and they're the fox. And it's some companies sit down and they're wondering why the fox isn't coming after them. Like, why isn't this fox coming to me? And you're like, no, no, you have, you can't make it difficult for them. You have to go get them. Actually, you have to
1: do the work. You want the, you want the fox or not? They're not going to absolutely. Well, I, I mean, to your point, we, we almost need to, you know, leave breadcrumbs for that. That. Fox to follow, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if Fox is like bread. I'm trying to jump on with the analogy. <laughs> but, you
0: know, whatever, whatever that trend
1: is something <laughs> exactly. We, we need to leave a trail for them to follow. but we also have to remember that not everyone's path will be the same. I mean that's the reality today. So from that perspective, uh, you know given that everyone's going to shift in different ways, what we have to remember is that we need to be able to pivot and we need to ensure that every direction someone chooses could be different than the next. It, it takes us back to our childhood, right? Not right. operation this time, but choose your own adventure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there were different paths to those stories, but most of them ended in a very similar way. Right? Uh, same thing. You died and
0: them. then you went back to the last page and cheated. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. I, if, you know, and, and those stories are still, still what drive us as consumers We're We love to have choice. We love to take our own path. We saw that recently in in the Netflix uh, series.
0: Yep, very cool.
1: Vandersnatch, if you've seen, which was uh, one of the Black Mirror episodes. It was done as a movie where you actually chose what happened to that character next. Uh, And the beauty was that they had different paths that you would go down depending on what your interests were. That's how we have to think about our content in that same adaptive nature.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I've got one last question. This is a uh, non-content one possibly, but if you could be better at one thing, what would it be? Oh, Right now, you might be thinking not being sick. I love to never be sick. Of <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm fighting a bit of a cold. I apologize if, if, if it sounds that way to people today. Uh, that would be a great one. I'll, but I'll, I'll give one that I think is, is really hard. I always say this inside of our company. Uh, so this isn't going to have anything to do with content, to your point. But uh, it, it's, it's both taking feedback and giving feedback. I think it's two of the hardest things that we have to do on a daily basis. Uh, I, I think all of us can always get better at this. And, you know, our ability to, you know, to receive feedback and process that in a way where we show it is, is welcome and, and we you know, take that on to try and be better. Um, and also our ability to deliver that feedback to someone else when we have it uh, to ensure that they're better. And that, that's how we all improve. I mean, I, I think that ultimately comes into marketing in a big way because none of our campaigns are perfect, right? We are always A-B testing. We're always trying to improve in one way or another. But it's how do we receive that feedback from from our customers? I had a customer just yesterday, who um, past customer. He's in between roles right now, and he gave me feedback on a strategy that we had. And you know, I could have taken it in two very different ways. I could have been highly insulted, or I could have viewed it as, you know, this is his thoughts, and you know, what does this mean? And what you want to
0: guess? Anymore? Since you're a successful guy, you weren't insulted because you. Oh, mean- I, I, unsuccessful I, I, I was excited thank you that's not my problem you got it wrong you know success but but you know what thank in, in you
1: his, wow to his credit he delivered it in a very you know positive way um right. and i was able to receive that feedback um because you know it's something that i'm always trying to focus on and then i was able to go to my marketing team and we were able to have a fun discussion about the pros and cons of what is the right approach with this strategy uh we ended up actually changing to a approach closer to what the customer was, was describing. So I think that, that ability for us to improve on how we give and receive feedback you know, can help us in so many ways.
0: Right, that's awesome, perfect. I guess I'd say if you're listening to this podcast and your reaction to everything Randy and I've said here today is no, I don't have that problem, fuck you guys, this isn't my, no, no, I'm good, I got all this, I know what I'm doing, then you're on the wrong side of that equation. I'm sure there's, there's stuff here that we all I know I can I can go out to my people and make some adjustments today even or just the accountability of saying like hey you guys know you do this sometimes not enough this isn't set up properly that we don't have enough organization we don't have, this isn't centralized um, so yeah take advice and grow with it don't uh, don't push back on it and then the ability to properly coach people under you anyone, you can you can give them advice in a way that they're going to push back. Like you said, that when that person presents it in the proper way, it really makes it a lot easier to absorb it. And if the people you're working with, you want them to absorb that. Don't give it to them in a difficult way for them to accept. That's awesome, Randy. I love it. So I want to get to a couple things here. We got, uh, let me see, Uberflip. You guys have the uh, content experience show podcast. Everybody check that out. You want to know more about content. they just, drill it on the content over there. Um, of course, Randy's book, fuck content marketing. And if you're lucky, you'll get a bookmark for that as well. Um, I think Randy, you put an inscription in mine. I thought it was just for me, but I'm pretty sure you tell everybody this and it's, uh, it's say create great experiences. I love that. It's what we've been talking about here. The books about content, but it's really about the experiences you create with that content and making that content work. Um, so awesome there. Everybody check that book out. We'll actually put the, uh, the index from that book on the, in the show notes so you can kind of see what it covers. There's some real nuts and bolts uh, stuff in there. And then uh, what you have your annual conference, Connex coming up August of this year. You can see uh, connex.uberflip.com for that, uberflip.com for anything about, uh, about Uberflip. And then uh, I think your book, there's b-rand.com if you want to see more on the book. Uh, Randy, anything I'm missing here that you want to throw out?
1: I, I, I feel like we've given people too many calls to action there, right? But I'll, I'll throw one more just because just it's something we did unpack during this, during this uh, podcast, which was that content experience framework, which is centralizing, organizing, personalizing, distributing, and generating results, which we didn't really get to the last part. But, the, but that's why we're out to do all this. And people can download that framework at uberflip.com slash ce is in content experience.
0: Awesome, awesome. All right, you can find the show notes uh, for this show and uh, any others on ifumarket.com, and please share us on social media, tell a friend, give us good reviews on iTunes, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Randy Frisch of Uberflip, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with content marketing, they will come.